What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about grammar and Bible study. How important is it to have a basic understanding of the rules of grammar in any language in order to ascertain what God wants for us in our lives? I don't think we can establish, quote unquote, Bible authority. Bible authority has already been established, but we can ascertain Bible authority. And for those of you that are pedants as I, go look that word up if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, Let's start with in the bottom left corner uh in the captions you can see lindsay dotson at gmail.com lindsay Fay sponsors our show uh are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event well look no further lindsay dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches whether it's flyers postcards or social media graphics lindsay has got you covered Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide with lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Contact lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And I would turn your attention to the same spot. Join Christianity Now Facebook group. Uh, it's just getting started. It's just getting up off the ground. It's absolutely free. It's public. There are no restrictions. We are going to start moderating it some once we get a bunch of folks in, but you can get in and and just we're going to see what this group does. Good to see everybody. Good to see you, Terry Crooks. I hope you're doing well today and hope everybody's doing well today. Um, I have been really good at going live at the same time every week, but as we integrate more into Canadian society, So my daughter now has a job. My son has a job. My wife has a job. Uh, Hopefully in about uh, September or August of 2025, uh, we'll have permanent residents. We've been nominated provincially. So the the province of New Brunswick has nominated us for permanent resident status. And then I'll be able to get a part-time job. And uh, we're going to be sporadic probably with the times. So I will try my best to, to live stream as close to 10 a.m. Central Standard Time as I can, but I will not always get it done. So for those of you that take the time to find me at other times, thank you so much. Be sure and subscribe. Be sure and hit the notification bell. And I hopefully, if you'll look at the bottom right here, there's this little green button. Go to Rumble and search Christianity Now, and follow us on Rumble. And if you watch the archives on Rumble, you will be able to have access to a feature where on your Android or iOS device, or at least on your on your iOS device, your Apple device, you will be able to have the archive of our podcast play in the background. And that's actually a paid feature on YouTube. But with Rumble, it's free. And we like Rumble better, quite frankly. 
And I, I was pretty fastidious about not mentioning other platforms, but I can't tell after a month or two of doing it, I can't tell that it's made a difference in the algorithm. So Substack, follow us on Substack. The article that we're going to be looking at today is an article from Substack, uh, belief in baptism, a grammatical exegesis. And yeah, that's, that's it. So Substack is the way to go. You can have a free, free subscription, or you can have a paid subscription. And that's all I've got. Let's get right into the podcast. Uh, belief in baptism. Well, check this out. Um, awesome. Someone told me to ask you if you will be doing a cogitation in the evening, like you used to do at 8 PM in the future. You know what, Terry, I may need to honestly now that, um, so the reason that I stopped is because there were some things going on with digital Bible study and the, the digital Bible study. I don't know. They haven't communicated with me. Jonathan Jenkins, nor Eric Owens has communicated with me at all. Um, but if there is an audience at that 8 PM slot, which that's 8 PM Eastern, it was seven central, eight Eastern, nine Atlantic. Then it may be that I need to re up that I need to start it again. Uh, the reason I say that is because, um, with our sporadic, uh, schedule now during the day, I'm pretty sure that weekly I can carve out an hour of time on a Tuesday evening. So that's a good question, Terry. I don't have the answer to it right here in the moment, but I'm thinking that probably the answer is yes. Probably. All right. Awesome. Uh, let's just look at this, what this grammar can teach us. And very quickly, I am going to, uh, go over here to the overlays and I'm going to put this back up on the screen. If you'll notice, this is a sentence diagram. The subject is he, the, the, the verb, the predicate, he will be saved who believes and is baptized, but he will be condemned who does believe. Then that word does is modified by not. And if you're unfamiliar with sentence diagramming, which I don't know how often this gets taught in school anymore. Um, my suggestion would be if you don't learn how to be proficient in sentence diagramming, at least learn how to look at a sentence in that way, broken down to its base parts and, or it's not its base parts. That's not what I'm, eh, the word, the word in English escapes me. Um, but anyway, just you'll, you'll learn to think like that. Like what's the subject, what's the verb, what's the adverbs, what's the adjectives, you know, then you have subsequent clauses and this, that, and the other. So really quickly, it's a very short article. And then we're going to go look at another passage of scripture where the grammar helps us understand what's going on. So he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The sentence consists of two main clauses, folks, separated by the conjunction, but which incidentally is an adversarial conjunction. Each clause outlines a distinct result based on one's belief or lack thereof. The structure tells us two things. Now it is very important what the structure tells us. All right. What are those two things? Well, number one, belief 
coupled with baptism leads to salvation, and then a lack of belief leads to damnation. The fact that baptism is not mentioned in the second clause in no way negates the necessity of it in the first clause. All right? Belief and baptism both are needed for salvation. And listen, I don't want to be one that always harps on baptism. I think, and you, you've heard this so much from me, listeners. I think we can, if we're not careful, focus too much on one particular part of the salvation process. Now, does that mean that we need to stop preaching about baptism? If you'll allow me to appropriate the language of my brother, the apostle Paul, God forbid. After all, Nehemiah chapter four, verse 20, still in the Bible. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither, and our God shall fight for us. The idea is that Nehemiah building the wall knew that the workers, the laborers were few, the work was great, the enemies were great, and they couldn't defend and outfit soldiers on the wall, so they had to defend where they were attacked. So if it is the case that the Lord's church is attacked because of the doctrine of baptism, then we need to be able to defend where the enemy is trying to breach that wall, okay? So are we going to speak about baptism much more than we speak about everything else in the salvation process? Probably. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. Okay, yes on both situations. We can focus so much on baptism, we come off as teaching a work salvation. If we focus so much on grace, we come off as teaching a faith alone salvation. We got to have balance, but we also have to defend where we're attacked. And the main difference between the Lord's church and denominations, notice I said and denominations, not quote unquote other denominations, because the Lord's church is not a denomination. But the main line of demarcation is what must I do to be saved? How do you answer that question? If you answer it any other way than the way in which it's answered in its fullness in Scripture, I'm not talking about a verse taken out of context, then you, you're not a member of the church of Christ, the church Jesus built, the church about which he spake when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. All right. Both, salvation, both baptism and belief are needed for salvation. All right. Regardless of what we think, regardless of what we think baptism is, regardless of any of the nuance about faith and works and the relationship between them or anything else, belief and baptism are necessary. That's what the grammar teaches me from this verse. In the first part of the sentence, belief and baptism are linked. It is clear. They both contribute to salvation. The grammar leaves no room for debate, my brethren. Belief alone is not sufficient. Baptism is also required. Okay? So let's talk about the role then of disbelief. The second part talks about damnation, solely mentioning disbelief. Now, some argue that this implies. Baptism is not necessary. Yet the focus here is on the absence of belief. The lack of belief rejects all actions that stem from it, including baptism. 
In short, disbelief negates both belief and baptism. Angela Noble, is the Truth Project good? Angela, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that work. Um, I'm sure there are good things about it. And I'm saying that totally blind. Uh, if you could put a link in the chat, maybe I can click on it later and, and go look at it and stuff and check them out. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I can't answer that for you. I would imagine there's probably good stuff about it. Um, all right. So we, we've talked about the role of, role of disbelief. In short, disbelief in the second clause negates both belief and baptism. So uh, he will be condemned who does not believe. All right. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, the disbelief, the believeth not, negates the effect of the belief plus the baptism. All right, so let's say let's say that you followed this formula. You believe that Jesus was the Son of God and you were baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And then a year from now, you say, you know what? I now have stopped believing. And in fact, I disbelieve that Jesus is the Son of God. He was just a mere man that lived in history and he was not God in the flesh. Well, you have now negated everything that belief in baptism gave you. Think about that. All right. Let's talk about the impact of the, conjunct the conjunction but. The word but serves as a crucial conjunction. It divides the sentence into two outcomes while also showing their two sides upon the same, of the same coin. It prompts a choice between a holistic approach to faith and the dire outcome of its absence. So take, for instance, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So on one hand, you can believe in Jesus and submit to baptism. On the other, you have disbelief. Well, submitting to belief in baptism will get you saved, but remaining in disbelief will get you damned. Both of those statements are true. The, the, the lack of the word baptism in the second clause in no way diminishes the effect and power of baptism in the first. And again, this is, this is grammar. That's all it is. And grammar, folks, the rules of grammar are ubiquitous. This works in every language. It diagrams the same way. I'm going to put this back up on the. I want to put this back up on the screen. This diagrams the same way, in both the Greek, and the English. He will be saved, who believes and is baptized. So think about this. Look at this on the screen. He will be saved. Okay, who will be saved? the one who believes and is baptized, he will be condemned. Well, who will be condemned? He who does not believe. That's how you look at that sentence. And the word but is an adversarial conjunction. It conjoins two clauses that are adversarial to one another. Again, I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what 
uh, uh, viewpoints you hold about works doctrine versus versus faith doctrine. I don't care anything about that. I just want to know what does the grammar, the sentence structure teach me, because it is important. Let me um, let me do this. S Y N. No, not not syntax. S E M A N T I C S. Semantics. All right, here is the definition for the term semantics. Semantics is the branch of linguistics and logic concerned with meaning, okay? How many times have you talked to somebody? Let me get this off the screen. How many times have you talked to somebody and you have been parsing something out and you've been digging down into what the scriptures actually teach, and then they'll say something like, well, that's just semantics. My response to that always is, well, yes, that is semantics, but it's not just semantics. Like you're dismissing the branch of linguistics and logic concerned with meaning. So semantically speaking, Baptism and belief is necessary for the outcome of salvation. And the only thing that is necessary for the outcome of damnation is disbelief or believing not. Now, it, you can, an atheist can understand that. Paul, what, help me out with your question. So what are the difference between those two? I don't understand your question, sir. Uh, help me out there. Uh, what what, are, what the, the difference between what? I don't know what was on the screen whenever you asked that. I'm very sorry. Um, so let me get back to the chat. So now, also remember, join the Christianity Now Facebook group. And I don't want to call any names, but uh, let me go to the captions here. Oh, why isn't baptism in John 3.16? Uh, for the same reason confession isn't. It doesn't need to be. John 3.16 is not a formula for salvation. John 3.16 is a simple statement. He that believeth and is baptized. No, wrong. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sorry, let me, let me separate myself from that mistake. Oof. Talk about a Freudian slip. I was so focused on our verse at hand. All right, John 3.16, you'll notice confession is not in there either. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, if you believe and keep on believing in Christ, not out of Christ, then you'll have everlasting life. Now, my question for you, my, I'm gonna if you'll if you'll permit me to be like Jesus here, I'm gonna answer a question with a question. How does one who is believing get into Christ? Now, if we answer that question, what we may say is baptism is implicitly in John three sixteen, because he that believeth and or oh I did it again. I'm too focused on the, on the verse for the podcast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, 
Yes. So there's a couple of ways to deal with that question. It's a good question. Appreciate you asking it. Um, Why isn't baptism in John 3.16? Because it doesn't need to be. Confession, confessing Jesus as the Son of God is not in John 3.16 explicitly either. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, are you going to confess it? Well, of course. Are you going to be baptized? Well, if you follow the Bible, you will. So, but good question. And Paul, I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm ignoring you at all. I just, okay, there. Oh, believing in Christ and baptism. So what are the differences between, between the two? Uh, in, from John chapter, from James chapter two, the devils believe and they tremble. A person who wants to be right in the eyes of God believes and he doesn't tremble. He's baptized. That's why James goes on to say, some of you say that you have faith without works. So don't you know that faith without works is dead? If you, sh- you say that you have faith and have not works, but I'll show you my faith by my works. So, hey, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Yeah, so what? What are you doing about it? Well, I'm going to walk up here and be baptized. Okay, now I believe you. So, yeah, the difference between believing in Christ and baptism is even the devils can believe and they tremble, but they don't take any action on it. Christians, people who are not Christians yet, rather, people who are outside of Christ, but that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the action you take based on what you believe is you submit yourself to the watery grave of baptism. I hadn't planned on bringing this in, but you can go to Acts 22.16. Paul believed that Jesus is the Son of God. He, he, that, that's evident from the interaction between he and Jesus on the road to Damascus, okay? I guess between Jesus and him. Anyway, um, but yet he was at Straight Street praying for three days. Ananias came and said, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Now, Paul, but we don't have to do anything for God to love us. Uh, True, but we do have to do stuff in order to spend an eternity in heaven. But you are correct. In Romans chapter 5, in that while we were yet sinners, God commended his love towards us. That's not right. Or maybe it is. Let's go to Romans 5, 8. Let me read it here. I am so thankful to have this new camera. Granted, it's it's not the, I still need to drape a sheet over this light so this light isn't so harsh up here on my bald forehead, but this camera is a hundred times better. All right, Romans, Acts in the letter to the Romans. Chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, um, Angela, I would ask, how how have you taken advantage of that death on the cross? Well, you haven't taken advantage of that death on the cross if you haven't submitted yourself to the watery grave of baptism, if you haven't done what Paul did. Get up wash away your sins, be baptized, and you do that by calling on the name of the Lord. Or you you call on the name of the Lord by doing that. Mm. 
And you have to remain faithful, obviously. Um, that's it. Terry Crooks has got it. Um, so Angela, you've asked God to be your savior. Well, his, I'm going to be very, very blunt here. That's nowhere in the Bible. You've got to follow the Bible and do what the Bible says. So what if you were Paul and I just picture you, you've seen Jesus on the road to Damascus and you're blind. And you're on a, you're in this little house or wherever he is on straight street and you're praying and then somebody comes to you. So, well, let me ask you this then, Angela, were you saved first? Then afterward, were you baptized? Were you saved first and then were you baptized? And Terry Crooks has got it. Galatians 3, 26 through 27. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I don't understand how people miss that, Terry. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. How can you get in him? Well, you're going to put him on, put on Christ. And incidentally, Romans chapter six, know you not that so many of us who were baptized into Christ have, well, now I messed it up again, guys. I can't quote scripture anymore. What shall we say then? God forbid. No, we know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. There's only one way to get into Christ. And asking Jesus to be your savior is absolutely worthless. Doesn't work. Angela, I appreciate you being here and I'm, I'm hoping you'll continue to listen. But if that's what you did in order to be saved, it doesn't matter how many times you were dunked in water, you're not saved. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Rusty Kirby, thank you very much. All right, so I don't want to make this an entire show about salvation and baptism, although it's important. So, Angela, I would, I would ask, you haven't answered the question yet. Were you saved first? then baptized later. That's a mighty powerful and important question for you to ask or for you to answer. All right. Now let me go somewhere else. This is, let me, let me swap gears for the next few minutes. And first off, let me make sure I'm still recording. All right. I'm still recording. I think I've got her licks. You don't jump. All right. So for what reason was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Now, I'm not going to go to Genesis. I'm just going to try to relate a story. Um, in fact, let me do this. Let me see if I can go to, to Facebooky. Facebook? No, I can't do that. That's, uh, that won't work. That won't work at all. Bear with me just a second. I'm going to do this on my phone. 
I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read something here. Uh, I think you'll be interested in this. So I shared a video. Man, it's been a minute or two. And uh, basically, this was this was back July the fourth. I said, "Oof, this is how you call out false teaching." This dude did pretty well, and this dude made a video on TikTok where he called out this false teacher that was trying to say that uh, homosexual and heterosexual uh, uncleanness, in other words, those terrible acts, uh, fornication, that that was not the reason that the cities of the plains were destroyed. He tried to say that it was because of several other things. And this person, of course, it's been viewed 66,300 times. And there's 884 shares. It's got 3,200 uh, interactions on it. And it's got a, a whole slew of comments. Now, if you know exactly how much a slew is, you're doing better than me. Well, this one person says, the Bible says twice that Sodom was overthrown because they were overfed and neglected the poor. It says that specifically twice. Why go look at Jude? Now, this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy, which is exactly what the guy was saying, and you called him a liar. You're the liar for not knowing the word of God. I said, well, I said, I was going to answer this differently. Then I noticed you called me a liar and accused me of not knowing the word of God. I said, you capitalized the W in word. So this tells me that you believe that the Bible is God's word. Here's the deal. Jude 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the reason that the cities of the plains, there were five of them, of which Sodom and Gomorrah were two, were destroyed is found in Jude. It was because of fornication and going after strange flesh. Now, some people try to say, well, the going after strange flesh was whenever they went into, uh, when they tried to, uh, quote unquote, know the angels. And I'm like, that is, that's not logically possible. That's an absurdity because only, oh, now I can't remember where only one of the cities of the plains, I think it was Gomorrah. No, it was Sodom that saw that y'all I'm losing my ever loving mind. Which city of the plains was locked in. What were the cities of the plain? Sodom and Gomorrah with the cities of Adma, Zebulim, and Zoar constituted the five cities of the plain. But which one? Sodom. Thank you. All right. So the only city of the plains that the angels went to was Sodom. All right. That's the only one where they tried to, where they tried to, um, well, where they tried to grape the, the angels. 
So I don't understand how they can say going after strange flesh is one of the reasons that the city of the plains were destroyed, because that would mean that the cities of the plains were destroyed for something they actually didn't do, four of them. Hello, Connie Barden. So I keep on going. I said, this was why the cities of the plains were destroyed, fornication and homosexual activity. I said, the passage in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50 is a lesson to the southern kingdom of Israel. It's showing how they were like Sodom. The passage is in no way offering an explanation for why the cities of the plains were destroyed. Jude 7 is offering explanation as to why they were destroyed. It, but they do not, but Jude doesn't offer an extensive list of sins. And then I, I just kind of jab a little bit. I said, maybe from now on you follow this section of the word and that you study to be quiet, to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly towards those that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. I said, maybe come in and ask questions for clarification instead of showing your arrogant ignorance, accusing people who know more than you of not knowing the Bible. And I will admit I was pretty hard on her. And then they tell me everything they need to know about him. The fact that you quote Paul for your affirmation shows me who you follow. Have a nice day. And then they said, P.S. I said you called the man in the video a liar. I didn't call you a liar. And I screenshotted her comment where it says, you're the liar for not knowing the word of God. Folks, people are just so exceptionally ignorant sometimes that it blows my mind. But let me, we're talking about grammar. So let's just go to Ezekiel chapter 16 and start in verse 40. Yeah, let's do 48. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom, thy sister, hath not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister, Sodom. So now we're going to give a list of the iniquitous things that Sodom did. And for those of you that are listening really closely, check and see whether or not iniquitous is a word. I use it an awful lot, but I don't really think it's a word. All right. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pridefulness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination. Therefore, or committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw good. Neither hath Samaria committed half of thy sins, so on and so forth. So why? Grammatically, why was the, was the uh, city of Sodom, Sodom destroyed? Well, for that laundry list of sin culminating in committing abomination before me. Folks, that's it. Now, why is it the case that Jude only focuses on the committing abomination, the going after strange flesh and fornication. Because the, the, the going after strange flesh and committing fornication 
is the end result of all the other. There's no, there's no rhetorical or literary reason in Jude to list the entirety of Sodom's sins or the sins of the city of the plains because one specific thing was focused on, how they left God and they, they fornicated and went after strange flesh. And an understanding of grammar gets me there. In other words, I will only be pulling out from the text what is already there. So I cannot say then, I cannot leave out. So let's go back to uh, Ezekiel. I cannot leave out, um, or I cannot say then that, well, Sodom was destroyed because of pridefulness and abundance. Like, no, no, no. Grammatically, she was destroyed for everything that was listed. And the last thing was the big thing. In other words, you have a progression of, of sin here. All right, so you start out as um, pridefulness of bread, abundance of idleness. Uh, she didn't strengthen the hand of the poor. So you see a, 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 a gradient nature of moral degradation. But in Jude, Jude is just focusing on the end result of that. So yeah, that's I don't understand how you read the Bible any other way. And having an understanding of the grammar and such like, that's that's what we do. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe maybe this hasn't been as helpful as I thought it might. But um, if we just read the Bible and only pull out of it what is there, if we look at the grammar, if we look at the syntax, if we look at the semantics, and, and let's let me give you a good definition of syntax. Syntax is the arrangement of words and phrases to create well-formed sentences in a language. If you familiarize yourself with semantics and syntax, and in order to do that, you have to have a cursory or at least a baseline understanding of the grammatical rules, then you will never get turned on your ear by, well, what does it take for salvation? It takes belief and baptism. Well, what? Why were the cities of the plains destroyed because of pride and idleness of bread? No, ultimately because of all of that. So, if I want to use a figure of speech called metonymy or synecdoche, I can say the cities of the plains were destroyed because of fornication and going after strange flesh. Well, why did they fornicate and go after strange flesh? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Ezekiel and have a a, a longer list. So it started with pridefulness and ended with committing abomination before me. That's simple. The Bible's not hard to understand, folks. The Bible's easy to understand, and you can do it, and you don't have to have an understanding of the, of the, of the original language. Man, if somebody tells you you've got to understand Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic in order to understand the Bible, you need to run as far away from them and as fast as possible. And I think that's all I've got. Um, I hate that I never did get an answer from Angela. It's an important question. If you were saved first, then baptized, and you're not saved. 
And I'm sorry, that's difficult to hear. Paul in Romans chapter 6, 17 and 18, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Talk about grammar. The point in time at which one goes from being a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness is whenever they obey from the heart the form. Well, in the context, that's baptism. And you got to know what you're doing. It's got to be sincere. So if you were saved first, then baptized later, you obeyed the form, but you did not obey from the heart because you didn't understand what you were doing. And Angela, I'm, I, I want to facilitate your salvation. I want to facilitate your baptism into Christ Jesus. So if you contact me, I can hopefully find someone in your area that can help you with that. And that's all I've got. Remember, Christianity Now Facebook group. Help us get this off the ground. Uh, Substack for all the articles. Rumble for a place to listen to the archives that's not uh, YouTube. And then, of course, uh, Instagram, Understanding the Time. Christianity Now streams on YouTube. And just because uh, folks ask me, I never did finish this uh, thought earlier. I'm not going to mention any names, but um, I have received the donation that somebody sent through the PayPal, and it is very needed. Uh, we're saving up to hit the hit the advertising really hard in January and also to get Aaron Dotson a couple of pieces of equipment, not, not very expensive pieces of equipment, but a couple of pieces of equipment to round out his studio where hopefully in 2025, for our Tuesday podcast together, we can have guests there in his studio and, and we can have guests on the show. Anyway, God bless y'all. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations. You can do buy me a coffee or Patreon. If you're listening after the fact, you can go to Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and the links will be in the show notes. Otherwise, uh, you can do a tip jar at nearchurches at gmail.com. Don't forget to uh, look at lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for all your needs when it comes to uh, flyers and, and social media graphics for your events. Subscribe. Be the algorithm for us. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side.